What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, it's Dr. Will Cole. This podcast is the manifesto for a new breed of health seekers. This is the art of being well. What's up and welcome to the art of being well. I am a leading functional medicine doctor. I get to consult people around the world via telehealth and I'm a New York Times bestselling author. I wrote Intuitive Fasting, The Inflammation Spectrum, Ketotarian, and Gut Feelings. If you want to learn more about my clinical work, our telehealth center, we have brand new telehealth patient options now open. You have to check them out. And lots of free resources there for you as well. You can check it all out at drwillcole.com. That's dr. W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E.com. And listeners, we're giving away tons of free healthy stuff every single month, no matter when you listen to this episode. All you have to do for a chance to win is head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review The Art of Being Well there. Tell us what you love about the show. You can leave your Instagram handle in the Apple Podcasts review itself, or you could take a screenshot of your review and message me on Instagram at Dr. Will Cole. And every single month, my team and I will be going through the messages on Instagram, as well as the Apple Podcast reviews themselves, and randomly picking winners every single month. And then I'll reach out to you and I'll ask what you want. So what we're giving away every month is a variety of different things. Things like free signed books, free telehealth consultations with the team, supplements that are some of my favorite healthy things at drwillcole.com. Lots of free healthy things. So you can win any one of those. If you win, I'll reach out to you and I'll ask what you want and we'll get either send it out to you or get you scheduled. All right, good luck. Let's get to today's guest. She's a longtime friend of mine. She's been on the podcast before. She's back better than ever. Her name is Dr. Nicole LePere. Dr. LaPera was trained in clinical psychology at Cornell University and the New School for Social Research and also studied at the Philadelphia School of Psychoanalysis. As a clinical psychologist in private practice, Dr. Nicole found herself frustrated by the limitations of traditional psychotherapy. Wanting more for her patients and for herself, she began a journey to create a unified philosophy of mental physical, and spiritual health that equips people with the tools to heal themselves. You know her maybe as the holistic psychologist. 
She is a wealth of information. Dr. Cole's teachings empower the individual to break free from inherited beliefs and uncover their authentic selves. She's the New York Times bestselling author of many books, and she's the creator of the hashtag self healers movement online, an international community of people joining together to take healing into their own hands. Also side note, she wrote the foreword to my latest book, Up Feelings, which I'm so honored that you did that. Anyways, let's get right to it. This is Dr. Nicole LaPera's Art of Being Well. Dr. Nicole LaPera, my friend, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Will. I'm honored to be here. I mean, let me just say this. I mean, this book is a number one New York Times bestselling book. And what the heck? I mean, obviously your other books have been amazingly successful as well, but I feel like this is like a next level for you. Is that fair to say? Do you feel like that? I think this book for me is just so special with relationships in general as a topic. And I think is indicated by placing number one, which really indicates book sales. It's just on top of our mind. Most of us continue to struggle in relationships and getting the crazy honor of, of being number one really to me just fills my heart with hope. There are so many of us that are, you know, working to change our relational dynamics. I think that that's just what that screams out to me. And I'm just so honored to be a part of what I truly believe is a global movement of, of transformation. Mm-hmm. Amen. I know with this book, you got the chance, unlike the other two books, um, because of the time we were living in, right, in part, you got the chance to meet your community and get out face-to-face in real life with some live book events. How have they been? It's been so incredible. Honestly, when I created the community on Instagram, I started to do three meditations. I did two, one in LA and one in Brooklyn, both kind of hometowns for me at one point. And I loved the opportunity to, for me individually, quite selfishly to be, you know, in meeting the community in their presence in front of them, having the opportunity to meet them. And I also loved the opportunity that it gave community in those locations to connect. Because I think so many of us are looking to, you know, connect with like-minded individuals on the same path. So when the book came out and the workbook and it was difficult, I mean, obviously unavailable when the first book came out during COVID, I was a bit disappointed. And I hadn't then had an opportunity to be in front of community for, for years. So for me, it felt like it was a long time coming to return to something very early on that I think was so integral in terms of this movement, which I really consider it to be. And with that, as I was sharing with you beforehand, comes a lot of emotions, a whirlwind of, you know, excitement. And for me as an individual, you know, connecting really personally with a lot of the the other individuals that come up to those events, it just fills my heart. And I think like, like most of us helps me feel less alone as I'm continuing to heal myself. Mm-hmm. Was there any moment on at these public events that person that you met that really stands out? I don't know that when you meet someone that you've, your work has changed them and you've never met them in your life. Anything come to mind? There's so many of, of those type individuals who, you know, in the moments that I get to spend with them are just so overwhelmingly grateful mm-hmm. for the access that this information has allowed them to see opportunity for their own personal transformation and something I'm always struck by. And I always kind of reflect back my acknowledgement of, of themselves in the role is those so, so many people so easily will, you know, thank me for being the change in their life. And I just want to say that this year as well, I am merely the vessel of, of information 
I think as many of us who are on committed to this journey that is grueling at times, that takes the daily consistency of creating new choices and new habits, ultimately, I always kind of reflect that empowering message right back that I was the vessel for information that then you showed up day in and day out to create that transformation for yourselves. Mm-hmm. And that just to me is so, so very inspiring to that I can even answer this question saying, no, Will, there wasn't just one. There right. was groups of individuals that are creating such life-changing movement for themselves and of course, relationally within their dynamics. That's powerful. You are, I mean, the way that I see it, I mean, coming from my you know perspective on functional medicine in the best of ways, you are this powerful force, this positive disruptor, I think of a space too. You're sparking conversations in a way that maybe many people within the mental health care space, you're reaching so many people. Do you get pushback at all? Do people think like, do they ever, you ever get any negativity from people? I don't see it per se, but I'm assuming anybody that is operating at the level you're operating with and you're a positive disruptor of a space. What's your perspective from the inside out? I absolutely, you know, have moments of pushback from both fellow professionals, clinicians who very much were trained as I were and who are meeting new information that oftentimes goes counter to many of the things that I even myself learned. And I'm being really intentional with that wording because I think anytime new information is presented, especially as clinicians or individuals who wrap certain aspects of our identity around Mm -hmm. the work that we do and very much well intentionally want to help and utilize the information that we learn to help individuals create change, I think as any new information and newness in general, which is why the journey of creating change is so difficult, it, it does a lot of times feel threatening. I also hear that sometimes from people outside of the system, if you will, individuals. It's funny, you're asking me this today. I just so happened to, the day that we're recording, put up a a post that on Instagram in particular, talking a bit about what I believe to be some underlying causes of some very widespread diagnosis, if you will, utilized in the mental health field that as much as, as much as of course I'm getting criticism too, I think I need to say right now, there are so many professionals and individuals who are wholeheartedly embracing this new information and possibly feeling hopeful for change as even a possibility for the first times Mm -hmm. in their lives. This post today is also, you know, bringing up a bit of difficulty in terms of new information that goes against, again, many people's lived experience, even that does bring that that pushback in the form of of challenge or resistance. Mm-hmm. I haven't been on social media today. I've been between telehealth patients, so that was not planned. Same wavelength. We're That's always good. you know in sync here. All right. So, is there any specific? I'm just curious, like any specific area within the new information you mentioned, just being a channel for this stuff and teaching people these things. What ruffles people's feather? I think what you do just brings people together. But I'm curious to know on the inside the the industry space the space the field what's ruffling feathers i think again very much in alignment between our works yeah. me thinking holistically about mm-hmm. mental wellness if you will emotional health and bringing up the possibility that there might be some whether it's physiological imbalances or emotional you know relational environmental experiences that can be kind of pointed as, of course, I don't think that there is one cause of a lot of our psychological or emotional difficulties, struggles, cycles, symptoms, even diagnoses, but 
that are playing a foundational role in causing, contributing, continuing those, those symptoms, those cycles in many of us. I think that is usually what, what brings up um, a bit of resistance because again, mm-hmm. I will just wholeheartedly say my, my training globally, right, it was very much of this genetic deficiency model. There was one cause, mm-hmm. it was in your genetics. There was no possibility of creating change. And ultimately these symptoms or diagnoses were a lifelong fate in mm-hmm. a sense. Mm-hmm. And so I think kind of calling to mind the possibility that there are other factors that then we can begin to create change or new choice mm-hmm. around possibly providing, I think that's what the empowering shift mm-hmm. for those of us that can receive that is, is okay. Well, if I'm not, and because for me, I personally relate feeling anxious, being an anxious individual for as long as I can remember having panic attacks straight across the entirety of my twenties, more or less, I thought that I too would be saddled with, okay, anxiety is just part of who I am. Mm -hmm. And so for opening, for allowing and having the possibility of opening that door for myself to understand anxiety in a new way, see in my own life, all of those underlying factors that were contributing to it and maintaining it across decades of my life and then creating the possibility for me to actually bring healing as an endpoint into Mm -hmm. my own conversation has been transformational. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense why that would ruffle feathers. It ruffles feathers <laughs> over here too, as you can imagine. I mean, epigenetics, genetics, the mm-hmm. interplay between the two environmental factors, especially in the mental health space, like you're saying, it's, it is seen as this unchangeable thing. This is who you are. It's just the chemical imbalance. It's just genetics without the bigger picture and the context of it. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should at least be simple. That's why for many, many years, I've been drinking AG1 every single day. No exceptions. It's just one scoop. It's all you need, guys. One scoop mixed in water is how I do it. You can mix it in a smoothie as well. Just have that once a day, every day. And it makes me feel more energetic, more focused. I have it when I get to the telehealth center, I will have it at some point in the morning in between consulting patients online. I know AG1 in every scoop is delivering my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, prebiotics, probiotics, and so much more. It's a powerful, powerful way, a healthy habit, a micro habit that you can do every single day that's sustainable and practical for anybody. AG1 is a product that I recommend to my family, my friends, our telehealth patients. We all love it here at the clinic. If you're looking for a simple way to elevate your health, it's AG1. And that's why they've been a partner since day one. Honestly, since the inception of The Art of Being Well, they were one of, if not the first sponsor on the podcast. It's because I love it so much. So if you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, which I see on labs, guys. It's low in most of people. So you'll get a year's supply of that and also five free AG1 travel packs which I take with me wherever I go. You get both of those with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash Will Cole. That's drinkag1.com slash Will Cole. Check it out. 
Hey girl, hey, welcome to Taste of Taylor, my weekly podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Strecker. You might know me from Sirius XM Radio. I mean, I was there for like 12 years after all, but then Howard Stern allegedly got jealous of me, so I had to leave. I was actually able to pull myself up by the bootstraps and start my own podcast, Taste of Taylor, which is now officially with Dear Media. I'm so excited to say that. Ha! So I promise you in this podcast, you're going to either learn about something, you're going to be inspired by someone that's like always coming from a perspective of like humor, then this is the place for you. I hope you enjoy this little snack. So let's go there. I mean, you talk about in this book about the impact of many different childhood and throughout life, cumulative stress, traumas, physiological factors, but let's talk about trauma specifically. What's the impact of early childhood trauma on our body and on our mental health. And then we'll lean into relationships. I want to emphasize here as I, as I go into this, I think the reason why it feels challenging, not only is it a kind of counter to what many of us have learned, there's an imprint, an impact of our earliest circumstances beginning in utero, our earliest environments, lifestyle choices that those that were you know, caring for us and contributing to even that development have. And we can see that mapped into the differences in our brain structures and our brain functioning. And again, I think a lot of us, it's so easy to say, oh, well, that's because those differences are inherited genetically, not understanding that environment and the way that we've learned to cope with particular environments or our caregivers have learned, our parents have learned to cope with particular environments can create that same structural impact or structural change. And the number one structural change that happens when we experience overwhelming trauma, which isn't necessarily the event that happened to us or didn't happen. Mm-hmm. It's the impact of whatever happened or needed to happen and didn't on our nervous system in particular. And in all of the brain regions, the hippocampus, the HPA access that contribute to those reactive stress-based trying to navigate these upsetting, dysregulating moments that very much can cause that structural changes mm-hmm in how our brain is not only wired, though it also functions. And I think the gift of epigenetics, as you so beautifully talk about in your own work, Will, is that with that reality comes the possibility of creating new internal and external environments for ourselves so that we can begin to rewire. And through now neuroplasticity that we know is possible. I mean, it's it's mind-blowing to think that even decades ago, we believe that the brain was set in stone from age 20 or whatever it was on, that Mm -hmm. there was no possibility for malleability or changing and knowing that that is not the case, that we're wiring and rewiring and have access to rewiring throughout our entire lifetime is again, I think can be an empowering shift into a more hopeful Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. experience, even for those like myself who do realize that yes, my brain is now wired and functioning differently because of whatever happened or did not happen in those early environments. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. You said something that's really important here because I see it so much in my work when I'm talking to telehealth patients. We look at things like adverse childhood experiences, events, right? We look at ACE scores and talk about these beyond even childhood, their life stresses and traumas. So many people will gaslight themselves. They think it's the event and then compare themselves to other people who have it worse off and say, well, it's not that bad. But as you said, I want to highlight this and maybe dig deeper is it's not the event, it's the impact on your nervous system. Can you talk about that? And maybe different people's resilience or thresholds or how comparing yourself to other people is not a way to find out how this is impacting your health. I was that person learning 
about the traditional definition of trauma, these cataclysmic events that threaten our physiological safety, that result in the traumatic experience. Historically, it was very much PTSD based. I did not, you know, recall. I tried on for size possibility that I was not recalling something that had happened to me. And by that point, you know, gaining clinical hours, working with a lot of individuals who had upward on those adverse childhood experience scale, had many of those events, I did gaslight. I did invalidate. And it wasn't until I realized that it's not, again, what happens, it's our ability, as you beautifully say, to be resilient or to cope. Mm -hmm. And this is, I think, how we can connect our ability and our resilience or lack thereof to even all of the generations that came before us, which is through when we are born as underdeveloped humans and our nervous system is actively developing throughout our 20s even, we need not only the physiological care of those around us, someone to show up in service of keeping us you know, physically alive, our nervous system needs that safe point of co-regulation. Mm-hmm. That individual, when we're in a moment of distress, upset, unmet need, and our body is physiologically reacting, we're going into one of those universal nervous system states of reactivity whose nervous system is calm and grounded enough to soothe us. That's actually how over time we learn about our emotions and how more importantly to Mm -hmm. self-soothe those. So how this gets transferred epigenetically, if we have caregivers as a large majority of us as adults have had who didn't have that ability, very well-meaning caregivers even, maybe based on their own past histories of possibly Mm -hmm. acute trauma or relational trauma, right? The lack of this safe co-regulative figure Some of them were very committed. I do not want to recreate this in my family when I begin to have children. Mm -hmm. Yet if their nervous system, if over the course of their lifetime, they have not taught physiologically their bodies how to go from a stressed state or a dysregulated upset state back into peace and calm and developed that stress resilience, that's what that ability to do is, and then widen their window be able to deal with more and more stressful or upsetting situations and become more regulated so that then they could embody that safety and that security that we need it, Mm -hmm. then no amount of well-intentioned parenting advice, reading books, you know, applying the perfect script will provide us as developing children that safe point of co-regulation. And many of our caregivers, again, structurally Mm -hmm. have brains that have overactive nervous system responses or survival modes, right? Overactive HPA accesses, amygdalas and all of that kind of hardware Mm -hmm. that prevents them without them being committed to create that or stress resilience through action in their embodied experience Mm -hmm. prevents that ability, which is why so many of us, as my subtitle suggests, break cycles, see these cycles Mm -hmm. and see so much of ourself and our parents and even come to then assume this genetic model of, well, It must be because look at everyone who came before me. In my example, we're all anxious, disconnected individuals. So this must just be part of our personality based on our shared genetic components. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So you mentioned the physiological impact that cumulative childhood and life stress and trauma has on the body, dysregulating the amygdala, the hippocampus, this sort of hypothalamic pituitary endocrine axis, right? The neuroendocrine axis. So how does that show up? Like how could somebody know 
oh, I have this. I have a dysregulated neuroendocrine axis. And I would also add to that too, the research we see clinically play out in people's lives, people with autoimmune problems too. But let's talk about these issues. Like how can somebody know, oh, this is me. Maybe they're so divorced from even realizing it. I think outside of the physical, which you so beautifully illustrate throughout your work, well, the autoimmune problems, the just, you know, not robust or resilient immune system, where mm-hmm. if we don't even have an autoimmune diagnosis, we're getting sick a lot. Mm-hmm. The inflammation that many of us can f- see in our bodies, can feel in terms of the brain fog and the heaviness and the difficulty thinking clearly, relationally, just to focus or kind of refocus on the topic of the book too. There are so many ways this nervous system dysregulation expresses itself, particularly around how we deal with stress or upsetting moments. So beginning to notice, right, how can we determine if this is me? Because to be able to create change or regulation in our body, of course, we have to become present to all of the dysregulation that's there. So those moments of upset, right, when we have a really big emotional reaction and we find ourselves saying and doing things that we don't mean, or maybe others find ourselves distracting ourselves, keeping ourselves even busy, not even looking at upset or stress that might be acutely or objectively present in our life. Some of us might find ourselves like me, going about the emotions of our day in relationship, though not really feeling present or emotionally connected in those relationships. Mm -hmm. We might find ourselves a uniquely human adaptations, kind of being the very traditionally known people pleaser or what would be in a fawn response, where at some point being hyper-attentive, acutely aware, hyper-vigilant to the environment around us, relationally in particular, to those around us, sometimes thinking we're doing it for their own best interests, their own service, caring for them, tending to them. That for a lot of us, that pleasing behavior where we're putting other people's wants and needs, even being more attentive to them than to ourselves, Mm -hmm. can be an indicator that our nervous system is dysregulated either in that moment based on what we're perceiving to be true, the meaning our mind is assigning. For some of us, that moment expands. For me, that anxious individual that I was describing, that anxiety, that people-pleasing, that kind of frozen state of panic in my 20s that ultimately led to the completely dissociated spaceship when overwhelmed can last beyond just moments. So again, beginning to notice how it is that you're relating to yourself, to others, to your emotions, to others' emotions, especially Mm -hmm. in these moments of upset. And I'm going into, again, the relational Mm -hmm. descriptors because those are the moments that a lot of us shame ourselves. Mm -hmm. When stress is high and when we're upset, we'll fall back into habitual reactions, ways at one time that we needed to create safety. Some of us get stuck living in those habitual safety creating ways across all of our relationships. So those are the moments or categorically the way we show up in relationship becomes the foundation once we become aware Mm -hmm. that we can begin to make new choices to shift those habits, which will need to begin in the foundation of creating a new experience in our bodies, a safe and secure connection so that we can access to a more responsive way to tending to ourselves and to those around us. Mm -hmm. So in a way, people can look at the health of their relationships And at least in part, right, in many ways, see that as a check engine, like an outer representation of how they're showing up in the world, right? And this isn't just 
romantic relationships. This is friendships, any relationships, right? I want to even expand this to the most foundational relationship with ourselves Mm. before even we need to, because again, a question I would get often when I start speaking, I'm putting a relationship book out was, is this for me if I'm not in Mm. an active relationship? Though the reality of it is we are all in an active relationship with ourselves. And many of these habitual reactions come not necessarily even from what's happening out there, but for what we're trying to protect against that's happening or has happened at one time within ourselves and that we've been carrying for a lifetime, keeping ourselves distracted in our minds or with other people can be our best protection against the overwhelming, upsetting, dysregulating feelings Mm -hmm. that live inside us. So beginning first with, well, how do I care for my physical body? Do I even have a routine? Do I, am I even aware that I'm living in a body that has basic needs, needs for nutrients, needs for movement, needs for rest, needs for water, needs for oxygen. That's regulating and calm from a deep belly breathing. Do I even tend to that, let alone before I even begin to think about emotionally how I deal with these reactive moments outside of even within the relationship that I might be dealing with them. Mm -hmm. Have you heard about Branch Basics? It's something that I use in my own house. We use the cleaning products at the telehealth center as well. Basically household products, whether it be laundry or other cleaning products that you use at your home. It's non-toxic, it's hypoallergenic, it's free of fragrance, hormone disruptors, and other potentially harmful preservatives. It's baby friendly, it's kid pet friendly. (laughs) If your pet are your babies, it's friendly for all of them. It's clean and cost-effective as well. Their premium starter kit will provide you with everything. That's what I recommend. Get their premium starter kits. You can try everything you need to replace all of your toxic cleaning products in your home. And they have a refill model. Once you run out, the only thing you need to repurchase is the concentrate and oxygen boost. If you suffer from eczema, allergies, asthma, if you have other autoimmune issues, really, honestly, anybody, they need to be using this just to optimize their health. And people are so unaware of the potentially damaging effect that conventional toxic cleaning products, laundry products that they're using in their home. My friends, I highly recommend checking out Branch Basics. Make the switch to Branch Basics today. Save 15% on your starter kit or their new hand soap when you use code T-A-O-B-W. That stands for the art of being well. So use code T-A-O-B-W at branchbasics.com. Again, that is code T-A-O-B-W for 15% off when you purchase a starter kit or their new gel hand soap. Here's a pro tip for everybody. Just one athletic non-alcoholic beer counts as giving dry a try. Maybe it's on weeknights after work or kids soccer games or basketball games or the night you're chosen to be DD. Another pro tip, if you're giving dry a try this new year or any time of the year, it's way easier with award-winning taste like athletics. Their brews are great tasting, full of flavor. They don't make you feel like you're giving up anything and they have an enormous variety of styles to try. Goldens, sours, IPAs, you name it. There's zero hangover, zero downside, and Athletic is a certified B Corporation, so you can feel great 
about drinking great brews all month. This is something that I recommend to our telehealth patients that are looking for alternatives to alcohol. You have to check this out. This January, give Dry a try with Athletic Brewing Company. Order online or find them at a store or bar nearby at athleticbrewing.com. Pro tip, use my code WILLCOLE at checkout to get 15% off your first online order. That's code W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E at checkout for 15% off your first order. Near beer, exclusions and conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company, fit for all times. Thanks for highlighting that. I think it's true. Like whether you're in a relationship or not, like this is ultimately starts with the relationship with our, ourselves. So this is applicable to anybody. And so many people, it's just, we oftentimes say here at the clinic, like just because something's common doesn't necessarily make it normal. Like just because something is all you're used to and it's your everyday doesn't mean you should settle for it. So obviously there's many people that are listening to this that know my relationships aren't where I want them to be. Like it's not healthy. The relationship with myself isn't healthy. But there's many people, that's all they know. And it's like this bleak, suboptimal existence. So for those people that may be counting themselves out right now as quote unquote, not for them, like what are some questions we can ask ourselves to know, is there something better? Like, is this all that there is? I appreciate this question because a byproduct of us feeling acutely or consistently overwhelmed in our nervous system of those kind of dorsal vagal responses of being frozen or completely shut down is a sense of hopelessness, the impossibility of things ever being different, of things maybe ever being different for anyone. This is just how life is. I mean, I used to have a running mantra about myself as an individual where I used to proclaim that I was a realist. And this was based in a time where I was living in New York City. I think a lot of outside of our own familiar and what we've become used to, I think humanity at scale has gotten used to a lot of unhealthy circumstances. So then I would extend this realism, right? Statement to, well, who isn't disillusioned? The whole New York is disillusioned, right? Who isn't working for the weekend? Who doesn't hate their jobs? Who isn't hopeless at heart? And so again, I just want to acknowledge that if and when, as I had felt for, I mean, hope was not a, embodied experience because I was in that dorsal vagal state where hope, we do limit our access to the very powerful part of our brain that can see, let alone create a different response or a future that can be different. We do become kind of rutted in to those pathways. And so it's only natural when we have this familiar that's unsafe, insecure, maybe abusive and violating that we've come to know as what relationships even are, we only can continue to project that this is how they will always be. And then maybe to expand that outward, especially if we have the friends around us who are sharing in this hopeless space. And of course, no one really, I know a lot of people even look at, no, no one's really ever happy or fulfilled in relationships. So I just want to give that because a lot of times the lack of hope, the familiarity that we've gotten so accustomed to does extend then this projection into the future. So if that is you and you are listening, hopefully I'm in planning a possibility though, as I always will say, do not take what I'm saying 
and, and apply it to truth, right? Maybe begin this process of reconnecting and checking out how your body feels. Do you have a heaviness of energy, a constriction and tension in your muscles all of the time? Are you holding your breath? Maybe you're so numb, you can't even feel your body, right? Those might be signals that the reason why you've become so familiar and you lack hope of any possible change is not because change is impossible. It's because this is the kind of message that your body physiologically is giving your mind. And then within that possibility with new intentional choices to stimulate your nervous system in safe ways, simulate and reconnect with very overwhelming emotional energy in your body. To find safe, supportive, secure relationships where you can try all these new vulnerable, you know, sharing and, and connecting moments that over time, maybe you can embody the truth that I absolutely did, which is going from hopeless. This is just what relationships feel like, emotionally depleted, disconnected. I'll never find the person that will allow me to feel emotionally fulfilled and attuned and connected to living the embodiment of just that. Beautiful. So check in with your body. That's a first step for sure. You talk about the dorsal vagal response. You talk beautifully in the book about polyvagal theory. Can you talk about the polyvagal theory? Because I'm a nerd when it comes to <laughs> polyvagal. So kind of go through the different phases of it, stages, like the origins of it, and what people should know about this exciting field of research. For me, it was life-changing, mind-blowing as a theory learning. Not only the implicit power and foundational power of our nervous system, though, polyvagal theory in particular. And uh, Stephen Porges, Dr. Stephen Porges, really was the gift of the forerunner of understanding the kind of three different pathways or different states that all of us universally share in terms of our bodies, our body's ability to be present and ultimately to be connected as the social or interpersonal creatures that maybe listeners have heard humans referred to as. And so in the ability to be safely grounded and connected and present to not only ourselves, in particularly to those around us, the world around us, is called the ventral vagal pathway. It's also known as safe and social for that reason, right? Our body needs to feel a particular way. The physiological sensations and messages that our body is sending to our brain at all moments of the day need to be of a particular nature so that we can be open mm -hmm. and curious about others, especially others that are different than us and open to connect, sharing ourselves, giving and receiving the emotional support that we all need as humans. And those messages are when our muscles are at ease, when our breath is calm and even from our belly, when our heart rate is within its normal rhythm. And we are always, again, outside of our awareness, our nervous system that is, is assessing the safety of our environment, the, our ability to stay present in that safe and social ventral vagal state, if and when it senses a possible threat. Mm -hmm. And this is the really pivotal piece of that. It's not an objective system. It is a system that gets programmed and conditioned by things at which we've felt threatened by at one time, at one space. And then we become a subjective observer of our current environment. And when we sense that threat outside of our awareness, then our sympathetic or our fight or flight nervous system, the kind of polyvagal triune, if you will, will begin to activate mm -hmm. because our first best attempt at dealing with a threat at hand 
It's to mobilize our energy, mm-hmm. to go into fight or flight mode, to overpower it, mobilize energy, right? Feels like tension in the muscles, clenching of the muscles, maybe the jaw, the fist, a quickened breathing pattern where we're really kind of oxygenating so that we can mobilize and use our energy. And then a quickened heart rate that kind of follows mm-hmm. in those systems and all of that mobilization of energy so that we can overpower the threat, overcome it, or flee, leave it, mm-hmm. remove ourselves from whatever is happening. If that's not possible, if the threat is too overwhelming, if it's too consistent, then we'll go down that dorsal vagal ladder. We'll begin to, as animals do, freeze. Right, where we still have a bit of mobilized energy, maybe tension clenching around the midsection. A lot of us describe it as we're waiting for the next shoe to drop, mm-hmm. looking for where it might be dropping from. And then finally, the final step is that complete immobilization where that energy completely leaves that sympathetic energy. We're in the fully shut down dorsal vagal state. Our muscles feel weak. They feel heavy. We couldn't possibly get up even if we need it to in any given moment. Our breathing from that constricted midsection of freeze might begin to become constricted. We might notice we're even holding our breath. Am I even breathing at all? I almost remind myself or my body forces a breath after long Mm. enough time goes by. And our heart rate might even be imperceptible. We're a million miles away at that point in our minds as as a form of protection. Mm -hmm. And again, a lot of us activate and go through, the goal would be, these are very natural stages the goal to have a resilient, robust, you know, stress emotional system is to be able to naturally and more accurately assess the threats around us, mm-hmm. right? And go up and down that ladder, as you say, right? Mobilize energy and use it to overcome when we do need to assert ourselves or remove ourselves from violating situations and then quickly return to that safe and social state open for connection again. If and only when something is completely overwhelming and it is in our best interest to go into that freeze and shut down, to visit there and then begin to mobilize our energy to come back mm-hmm. into that safe and social. Though again, a lot of us, as I notice when I have lived in what I call my spaceship, a million miles away, going about the emotions of life, almost feeling like it wasn't me doing a lot of what I'm doing, emotionally disconnected in my relationships, have partners waving their hand in front of my face saying, are you there? Right? Some of us get so locked because we don't have that resilience to move our bodies up and down that ladder as we need to. Mm. And yeah, and like you said, many people, I would, I would venture to say most of humanity are somewhere stuck in that dysregulated state. Some a lot more severe than others, some mild in background and just settle for it. They don't even realize it's an issue. And part of that, I mean, that word polyvagal, the vagus nerve for people that don't know, it's that largest cranial nerve in the body. It's it's a physiological issue. This isn't some theoretical thing. This is purely physiological. That's responsible for the gut-brain axis. People think about digestive health. This is what we're talking about. And that regulator of that resting, digesting aspect of the parasympathetic nervous system. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any diseases. Did you know that after the age of 21, you start losing 1% of your collagen every single year? Here's how it works. Collagen is important for your skin because it gives natural support and firmness to your skin. Biosil is a premium product that helps you generate your own collagen and helps you protect the collagen you already have. Biosil is backed by science. 
with over 25 years and $25 million in research. And they're real results. BioSil is clinically proven to work for healthier hair, healthier skin, and healthier nails. It increases skin elasticity by upwards of 89% and decreases the appearance of fine lines and wrinkles by up to 30%. This is easy to take, everybody. The capsules are smaller than a penny, more space effective in your pantry. And all you have to do is take one capsule two times a day, one in the morning, one before bed. That's all. It's vegan. BioCell doesn't contain any collagen from animals and is also GMO-free. It's safe for pregnant moms to be or when you're breastfeeding. You can buy online on BioCell's website. That's biocell.beauty or your local retailer. The discount code that I'm going to give you is only available online at biocell.beauty. So you can get 30% off your first product order on BioSil's website with code Dr. Will Cole. That's D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E. Again, that's code Dr. Will Cole for 30% off your first product order or subscription exclusively at biosil.beauty. That's B-I-O-S-I-L dot beauty. Listen up. If you want to know the secret to a dysregulated nervous system, hypervigilant nervous system, if you're struggling with anxiety, if you're feeling wired and tired, struggling with inflammatory problems or digestive problems or hormonal dysregulation. Look, my day job, it's looking at both the physiological and psychological components to these type of issues. And that's something that we look at labs and we can see the data improving. When we integrate protocols for our telehealth patients, we have to bring both the physical stuff and the mental, emotional, mind, body aspects of care to get people well. Well, a tool that we use in the mind body category of things as, as a very effective tool within our patient's toolbox is breath work. Something that I recommend to our telehealth patients is the open app. You have to check out the open app if you're interested in all of this stuff and bringing in breath work in a realistic and practical way that's sustainable throughout your year. The open app is simple and works. It combines breath work, meditation, and fitness. And they have an amazing community of people doing it all together, all committed to personal growth. Open is the one thing that you can do every day that sets you up for success. You can add it to your daily routine with tangible benefits that you're going to notice in your body. If you want to get on my daily routine that I do with Open, you can get 30 days completely free of Open by visiting withopen.com slash Will Cole. Again, that's 30 days free by visiting withopen.com slash Will Cole. All right, so let's, somebody's in a relationship they know or they're not in a relationship, but just they're, they know their relationship with themselves isn't where they want it to be. How do we start creating healthier relationships, safe relationships, secure relationships? As you and I are both in overwhelming agreement, safety, security, right? the nervous system, this health and resilience that we're talking about, not only has to include, begins foundationally with our physical body and therefore our physical needs. So the beginning of the journey first without judgment or shame, or criticism is to determine how connected we are to the physical vessel in which we're spending all of our days, which has needs, mm-hmm. which we may or may not be meeting and to complicate it further, right? To go back into this, you know, kind of idea of epigenetics and lifestyle A lot of the habits that we learned in childhood, even some aimed at making us ourselves feel emotionally better, 
like the foods that some of us eat, the behaviors that we habitually compulsively engage in can, as it was in my case, as someone who loved to use food to soothe, loved to use busyness to distract from all these overwhelming emotions, keeps us inflamed, reactive, stresses our body to the point of continuing to activate the stress response. So becoming aware, first and foremost, of what is your baseline connection to your physical body, right? If you were to set a commitment to check in with your body, even just beginning with one time or just check in now while you're listening to this, as you're listening, do you have an awareness of how your muscles are feeling? Are you aware of maybe the support in the chair that you're sitting in? Or if you're on a walk, do you feel your heels and muscles tensing as you're moving about the earth? Are you able to also, while you're listening, notice right, how are you breathing? Beginning to notice your body. And that begins when I think a lot of us become aware that we pay little to no attention to our body, even in moments where we're caring for it at mealtime. Mm-hmm. We don't stop to check in to determine this was one of the biggest habitual aspects of my life was around my physical self-care because I came from a very ritualized family in that sense where there were certain meal times throughout the day, right? Breakfast happened between this time and this time, lunch between this time and this time, dinner between this time and this time. There were certain foods even appropriate or so I was led to believe at certain times of the day. So what I would notice as I went throughout my day I had that very rigid sense of only eating when it was breakfast time, lunch when it was lunchtime, lunch foods at lunchtime, dinner time. And if I was hungry outside of those areas, well, I might ruin dinner. So I won't eat. I wouldn't eat maybe what I particularly wanted because I wasn't checking it in my body. Oh, well, these are lunchtime foods. So this is what my options are right now. So learning not only how disconnected many of us are, learning how to refocus that attention and beginning to pay attention to our body. Our body is incredibly wise. It is sending out. I mean, I'm to the point now where not only do I check in to see if I'm hungry at whatever time of the day it is, right? Learning to even attune to what my body might want to physically eat, Mm. right? Imagining certain foods or looking at certain foods in the fridge and saying, hmm, are you reacting? You know, are you interested? Mm -hmm. And yeah, this food feels like what I want right now. So this possibility of attuning and even noticing and learning our body's unique individual cues for hunger, for what it wants, for when my body needs to move, feeling a stagnation or an agitation in my energy is a great invitation for me to begin to stretch or take myself on a walk. It doesn't have to be anything vigorous or for minutes or hours at a time. It can be these small moments. Equally, when my body is fatigued and needs to rest or hit pause, take a moment to regroup All of that becomes possible first and foremost when we rebuild that connection. When we notice all of the different places that we're paying attention or making decisions from in terms of our physical care and then building in moments to begin to check in with our body and care for it in the way that it uniquely needs. Mm. You talk about in the book, heart-brain coherence. Can you explain what that is? This is another really mind-blowing a piece of information for me, learning of the incredible power of the heart. I'm really happy we're shifting because we continue to, like the nervous system is very mm-hmm. powerful. It's kind of our, our command center. It's contributing to not only how we feel, what we're doing, how we're sensing the world around us. So when I learned how integral 
the heart is to all of our physiological process and how powerful it is in terms of sending out those same electromagnetic signals that our nervous system is sending out, interacting with those around us and also receiving from those around us. Our heart expands scientifically. Mm -hmm. They validate it to a greater distance than the energy of our nervous systems. And so what heart-brain coherence is, it is a state of harmony that we're able to achieve that first begins, kind of this ties all of these concepts together when we are safe and secure enough in our body Mm -hmm. to be able to not only attune to our internal messages from our muscle, our body sensations to our heart, our heart sensations and all of those more often that nonverbal messengers in our body. It also begins when we're able to shift emotionally out of the feelings that many of us are stuck in, the stress, the hopelessness, as we talked about earlier, I'm really happy that came up. And when we're able to embody what are called more heart-based feeling of care, of compassion, of love, of gratitude, Mm-hmm. which may sound for some of you listening, like beautiful concepts. You might even have heard of how powerful gratitude practice is. So continuing to acknowledge these are energetic, emotional feeling states. Mm-hmm. And they only become possible when we're safe and secure enough to feel all of the emotions. Mm-hmm. And when we can turn inward and even generate those feelings by calling to mind, maybe even right now as you're listening, something or someone can be a loved one, an experience, an animal, a pet, something, you know, kind of close to heart that allows you to even for a moment feel any of those, those emotions, feel gratitude, feel care, feel compassion, feel love, feel Mm. warmth. Maybe it's more sensory for you in your heart. Mm. And when we're able to be in that state, the coherence or messaging that happens between then our body and mind is harmonious physically. Mm-hmm. We're more physically well, we're more emotionally resilient or able to go up and down that ladder as we need to. And then more powerfully, in my opinion, we're able to send that message of safety and the security to all of those around us, helping even impact their level of coherence this beautiful, connected, compassionate state that I believe we all have access to as individuals and their level of incoherence or stress, upset, right? We're able to be that safe and secure point of co-regulation where now our safety and security can quite literally scientifically, energetically have an impact helping calm the stress and upset in those around us. Mm. So as we start leaning into the practices that you talk about in the book, more more of them, but also the ones we, we're learning here in this conversation, as we start regulating our nervous systems, impacting that neuroendocrine response, like checking in with our body, healing ourselves, as we lean into doing that, but let's say we're in a relationship where the old us got into it. And let's say this, I see this a lot with patients, they're on a different journey than their spouse or partners in. What happens at that point? Is it through our own resonance, we can hopefully change the resonance of them? Or is this something where, you know, we have to make a decision? I really appreciate. And I similarly will get this 
question or observation, contention even brought up as individuals are empowering themselves to create change. The first kind of response I have is to possibly challenge an assumption or an expectation even that some of us might be carrying, which is that relationships can and maybe even ought to stay the same. And to introduce the possibility that like us as evolving creatures, the natural course of relationships, especially those that are long in tenure, might naturally shift and change over time. Because the many of us that have that expectation that they say the same, that what my relationship looked and felt like in the beginning with one individual, it should always look and feel that same way. And when we relieve that expectation, some of us gain space for the natural evolution of ourselves beginning to show up differently than naturally impacting our dynamic with other people, of us growing and evolving at different rates and allowing without putting pressure or coercion on those around us to change exactly as we're changing and in the same exact ways on the same exact timeline, we might gift them with space to evolve into their own journey that might not look as we expected exactly to look. Mm -hmm. The second thing, another expectation, I think, some of us very well-meaning for well-meaning reasons and very naturally is as we begin to change, to experience ourselves differently, some of us want that of our loved ones, especially if we know that they're struggling in some ways. Some of us look to our loved ones because if we're being honest, many of us, I think, have lived the experience of gaining some traction on our individual journeys. And yet within our relationships, those dysfunctional habits and patterns and cycles are still there. Mm -hmm. Or we're not in a relationship and then we find our way into one and we're like, oh, we're in a great place. And then here comes all of the wounding up the top. So I think it's a natural instinctual thing then that happens is we're like, well, I actually need you to change. I need you to stop doing this or start doing more of this so that whatever the cycle that's continuing we can break that. And difficult reality for many of us to not just logically know and body, we can't change anyone else. Mm -hmm. We can support, create that supportive space, model, maybe even offer them if they're interested, some helpful resources, perhaps like how to be the love you seek, but we can't show up in their body day in and day out and become conscious of the habits and patterns that aren't working. And actualize the change in the way that we need to. Mm -hmm. So to then more specifically ask your, answer your question in terms of, well, if we're able to relieve that expectation then and continue to focus on me, that's what that looks like practically. Okay. If you keep doing exactly as you're doing and we keep having, like, what role am I playing in this dysfunctional cycle in this reactive moment? What can I do to remain calm and grounded right in this moment? Might I be able to, and I spent a lot of time in the book, not only talking about these different polyvagal modes in ourselves, what they look like in others so that I can maybe be more compassionate in that moment, hold space when you're in that survival driven brain and you're not able to be calm and grounded. Mm -hmm. I can remove myself, obviously keeping myself safe and not try to have a difficult conversation when you're not present enough in that mind to be able to, I can maybe depersonalize your overreactivity or underreactivity and distance and not assign the meaning that it's something to do with me or your lack of care for our relationship and understand it to be what it is. You habitually reacting to stress that might even have nothing to do with what's going on 
within our relationship. Mm-hmm. And through then, right, that depersonalization, that commitment to creating the boundaries that I need to continuing to show up in all of the circumstances, stressful, upsetting, neutral, as that calm, grounded, safe, secure presence. I do a lot when I talk about co-regulation in the book. The strength of those unseen messages might be what allows our loved ones to begin to show up differently. And I think mm-hmm. a common example of this is we want a partner to open up, right? To tell us what they're really thinking, feeling. Maybe we're a parent and we want to be the parent who our child can come to in any given moment with whatever's up on their mind, whatever upset or stressful experience they're going through. And when, first and foremost, we don't pressure someone to immediately tell us what's going on right now because we sense it or to, you know, the parent to do similarly, when we create that safe, secure space so that we feel approachable. And when we hear something upsetting about ourselves, about an outside relationship or struggle that our loved one or our child is having, when we don't react to whatever is being generated within us, powerlessness, compassion, empathy for what they're going through, maybe something similar that we went through in the past and now our wounding is coming up, when we're able to remain responsive and calm and grounded to hear whatever is really happening, then we create that safety and the security that might increase the likelihood of that person continuing to come to us, to open up, to join us on this co-regulation journey. Mm, Thank you for that. I heard Eckhart Tolle say once, I'm paraphrasing, if you think you're evolved, if you think, you know, you have high consciousness, spend some time with family or, or be in a relationship, right? I've also heard it said being in a relationship is a meditation and all the parts of us that need some work, right? That's a good end, right? That is very true. And I, I'm really happy that so many beautifully wise people have shared that and you yourself are bringing that up because I do think it's, it's shame inducing mm-hmm. a lot of us. And I'll be the first to share all of the moments where I return those very shame inducing reactive patterns Mm -hmm. saying and doing things that I don't mean Mm -hmm. removing myself or disconnecting from the love and support that I either want to provide to someone or receive from someone. Mm -hmm. Right. Those are the moments that are so alive and breathing because down to even our self identity, how we've come to know and think and believe and engage with ourselves as individuals was created in a relational environment which is why jokes aside, family, loved ones, relationships are so challenging. Are our mirrors do touch the deepest of wounding that we have. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. As you know, the podcast, it's called the art of being well. I don't know if we did this the first time you're on the podcast, but it'll be different questions nonetheless. First, this is Dr. Nicola Perez, art of being well. First question is what's the worst tasting healthy food? It's a food that loves you back, that nourishes you, that helps to support all this, these pathways we're talking about our body, but it tastes disgusting. Do you have any of those foods or do you love the taste of all the foods that you eat? That's interesting. Nothing is coming to mind that I don't like the taste of. I think I probably would find an alternate for whatever nutrient that that's providing so I don't yeah. have to eat it. I can't think of anyone. In, it's okay. In that. Some people have a none. grassy taste. Is, yeah. is what is the kind? There's wheatgrass. Some people will say wheatgrass. There wheat grass. you go. <laughs> I think that would be that would be the one. And I'll I, take a shot, though. I will still do it because it's a little shot. Usually, I'll give, yeah. and so it goes down quick. And I'll have usually a chaser. 
Uh-huh. But things that taste like like grass, if there's any other ones, I probably wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't gravitate to. I get a lot of those answers from people. It's like wheatgrass. Some people will say organ meat. Some people will say kale. Oh, I love spinach. me some organ meat, so that's not going to be me. <laughs> How <laughs> I'm do one you, of those sickos. <laughs> is it, okay, the, now people's ears are perked up. What, what's your favorite <laughs> way to eat organ meats? Any like pro tips to make it the most delicious it can be? So I like the taste of organ meat. I particularly love a chicken heart, bread it in a gluten-free breading of my choice and fried or sauteed in a healthy oil. Of course, I like to make tacos out of them, though a sneaky way, the way I began eating organ meats are really introducing, I was vegetarian vegan for a very long time. And when I began introducing meat again and, and sneaking organ meat back in, it was usually, and I found this tip, I forget who I found it from, making like a meatball or something and mm-hmm. dicing up really small, the organ meat and mixing it then together so that it kind of countered the taste. Though I've grown to love and like, like I said, eat, eating them all yeah. natural. <laughs> I love it. Pure, unadulterated. A lot of places will make those, what they call ancestral blends. They'll like cut it with regular mm-hmm. meat to right. like hide it and mask. It's a great idea. Or you can do it yourself. You can kind of mix it up yourself uh, and do like two thirds regular meat, one third organ meat. Great. Thank you. What's your ideal dream vacation? Oh, gosh. My ideal dream vacation is nature. Mountains. I love mountains, seeing kind of the vastness of mountains, being in nature, hiking in nature, reading in nature. So there's not really a specific place. I've really discovering how many beautiful places there just are mm-hmm. in, in the world in general, even here locally. Usually wherever I am locally, I have access now in Arizona, there's beautiful mountains. So any version of being, if you're seeing me on vacation, usually you're seeing me uh, near nature in some way, Mm -hmm. if not on or around a mountain, if possible. (laughs) I love it. Well, I remember vividly talking to you one of the, a few times ago on Zoom and you were in Colorado in the mountains. So it's true. I was snowboarding. So I do love (laughs) the one time I will tolerate outside of cold therapy, the cold, having lived the majority of my life in the East Coast and in very cold and moved to the West, now the desert to avoid it, will be snowboarding on the mountain because nothing beats, in my opinion, being on top of a mountain as you are when you're skiing or snowboarding, looking, being among the trees. Mm -hmm. The one time I will tolerate being in the cold. (laughs) (laughs) We're both Pennsylvanians. What's like a Pennsylvanian like gem, like thing that to visit, see, maybe it's nature, maybe it's something in a city that you think is under-recognized, more people should know about? I think Pennsylvania in general has just so much beauty. When I first began really this kind of holistic shift and intentional living, I was living in Philadelphia, very much in the city, center city. And I didn't have much financially. I was the sole financial supporter for both myself and my partner, Lolly. And I began to you know, learn about the healing power of being in nature and walks in nature, hiking in nature, co-regulating in nature and all the things. And one of the godsends was even 15 minutes outside of the city. There's many parks though. One I would go to is Wissahickon and just taking, you know, our very old car, we would just drive out there. And I can't tell you how many hours I spent because nature is is free. It's really, Mm -hmm. it was a godsend for me because I didn't have the money to be joining the gym or, mm-hmm. you know, kind of paying to even travel very far. And I, I find that across Pennsylvania in general, there's so many hidden, beautiful 
I mean, nothing beats, in my opinion, Pennsylvania in the fall with the Ugh. foliage and the trees and really. So I just think Pennsylvania has so many hidden gems that might be in your backyard that you might not be aware of that, again, for me, were a lifesaver, giving me the opportunity to stay committed and build this foundational life-changing you know, shift in my lifestyle, mm-hmm. especially at a time where I did not have the financial resources to be you know, funding things. Because I do think a lot of us, you know, we are financially, we're living now in a, in a very insecure financial time in general. Mm-hmm. And so getting creative on all the small ways that we can build lifestyle habits Mm-hmm. that are within our financial means and also our accessibility. And I think Pennsylvania is just a beautiful state that has it has Love it. that accessible. Uh, this episode is brought to you by the Board of Tourism, there, Pennsylvania. There, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's really funny. I Quick aside, I brought Lolly up to the Poconos. My yes. family, my brother had had a house, so we would often go visit his house. And I brought up to the Poconos. She had never been. And I would joke with her that I thought she was on the Pocono Tourism Board. Because she would not stop talking about the Pocono Mountains for years after visiting it. I'm like, do you work for the Poconos? Like, she was mind blown with the Poconos. She's from New Jersey. So Uh, I don't think they have very mountains over there. (laughs) We'll help them out. Just come over the border. Come over the border, baby. That's funny. Do you take supplements? And if you do, like, what are two that you find, like, consistently are supportive of your health? I actually do not at this point take supplements. I had a history of taking very many supplements. I spent the past, gosh, seven or eight months doing a very deep level healing in terms of allowing my body, my nervous system to regulate, resolving some underlying inflammation and parasites and kind of stuff I had going on that I probably carried across my lifetime. And now the two, I only take two things. One of them is a flaxseed oil in the mornings and a, and a mineral that I take. So I've gotten myself almost fully resolved at the most basic foundational level. Uh And it's really reflected in my body processes and my mental health. And I'm, I'm very, yeah, I'm very excited to be where I'm at now. Wonderful. So you put in a lot of therapeutic work, like a first city of your life, but you think you're mentioning chicken hearts and like nutrient density, you're using food food as, as your vitamins. Absolutely. I mean, I should needless to say, Mm-hmm. My supplementation, if you will, is mm-hmm. 100% in the highly nutrient dense foods that I eat, mm-hmm. limiting inflammatory foods. I mean, that's just a daily commitment yeah. that I that I keep every day. So love it. Do you know? I'm curious. I don't know if I've ever, ever asked you this. Do you know what Enneagram you are? Do you know about the Enneagram? People ask about it. And then if you do, like what number you are? I have taken it, but I, I forget now. And I'm Two is coming to mind, but I only think it's because someone wrote in a review on my book that I saw recently that this is great for Enneagram twos. I'd have to pull up uh, in my email what what exactly one one that I am. Yeah, two is the peacekeeper, I think, or no, not peacekeeper. It possibly it's the helper. It's the helper one. Nine is the peacekeeper. It, it possibly might be what I am, and that's yeah. also why it might be coming to mind. But I, yeah. I don't, don't quote me on. That. Okay, I won't quote Dr. Nicola Perry. We do not know her number, so don't <laughs> write about it on <laughs> Instagram. Or TikTok. <laughs> They're going to take that and cut it. She's a two. And all, all the Enneagram. Knew it. <laughs> I knew it. knew it all along. I could tell every page. <laughs> Bled too. <laughs> all right. So last question. What's a book that you've read in the last year? It could be fiction, nonfiction, like book club moment. Like anything you've read that really was like, oh, wow, people should read this. What is a book? There's been so many, honestly. Well, it's hard to, to pinpoint one of them. And to be honest, I haven't read in quite some time because I was in 
my book completion mode. And yes, you were reading mode. your so own I, book. I put <laughs> reading. I usually try to stay out of other content ideas when I'm when I'm. That's fine. I do own. the same thing. I do not when I'm writing a book. I don't. Other than research for the book, which is the same for you, right. like that's all we do. There's, it's like you, ha it's like this laser focus project curation. Yeah. And I'll do, yeah, my research stage usually happens when I'm in idea creation, proposal mm -hmm. writing mm -hmm. uh, for the book. I'll do a lot of reading. So it's funny. I have lots of books stacked on my desk for my beginning of my Christmas break as I'm percolating on possible future book projects and kind of going to dive into some of the like hardcore research for what that might be. So yeah, when I'm in the act of creating and then of course promoting, I'm really kind of laser focused mm -hmm. on, on my thoughts and mm -hmm. then th these topics that I've had yeah. a wonderful opportunity to talk about. I love it. So let's just say it's how to be the love you seek. That's what you've been reading it inside and I've out. I've been reading it inside and out. That is for sure. I can't tell you. <laughs> I mean, this is one of the books too. Honestly, up until the end, I think my editors were going to kill me. I did the bad thing in publishing, which is tried to edit until the very bitter, bitter end, actively edit <laughs> because I was just going over it and churning it and yeah. really wanted to make sure that it was as polished, not only conceptually, though written in a way that I would hope would be the most understandable, you know, palpable and empowering way as possible. So uh, you well, are not kidding when you say I, I, <laughs> I read it, I wrote it, I read it, I wrote it, I read it, I wrote it. I love it. Hey, you could tell, mm -hmm. you could tell you really took very thoughtful. It's beautiful. It's helpful. It's so practical, but yet so innovative. It's, it's things that I've, I've never seen put in the way that you're putting it. And it's going to help so many people. I, I'm curious though, it sounds like you're, are you already thinking about the next book? Like how much time do you need? Cause I need like an incubation period after a book comes out. The thing with these first three projects and what might possibly be a fourth project is these are topics for me that are almost have been percolating. I mean, I, I, saying for as long as I've been alive, but it, as I've been creating and thinking and healing holistically and speaking and teaching. And so this sequence and what may or may not come next is just such an intuitive, like, oh, of course, this is the next thing I want to lean into. Mm -hmm. It has been of mind mm -hmm. for so such a long time, so much a part of my individual journey equally even a part of conversation. I mean, the gift of social media, in my opinion, is being able to have these mm -hmm. conversations, seeing what the community is interested in, resonating, you know, with mm -hmm. even running some concepts by and seeing, you know, how it is that it can be the most understandable, the most impactful. So for me, I'm still in that stage of like, oh yes, I know exactly what mm -hmm. a future project is that I would like to create. I do very much try to stay intuitively connected and making sure that it feels exciting. And I don't feel like I'm just done with one thing and what could the next thing be? Like I said, it is burning top of mind. Mm -hmm. And then that I'm excited and obviously have the resources to want to embark on a journey that is a book's creation, which is you know, energetically exhausting and very then single focus that will take up the better part of the next two years, two plus years. So saying that to say all of the work I've been creating and had the opportunity to put out in books and will continue at least in the foreseeable future is of that nature, a burning, interesting question, desire, topic that I do think will be globally impactful. 
and making sure that I'm also being sensitive in mm-hmm. terms of my energy, mm-hmm. wanting to make sure that I do have the energy to put into it and feel good and excited about it and not just trudge through because that's what you do next. Right. So there might come a time in the future where there's a greater pause if and when I don't have that kind of top of mind burning curiosity and interest to put something else out. I imagine mm-hmm. that, like I said, all of these topics just are so intuitive and then kind of integral, I think, in my and other healing journeys that I think it's it's exciting for me. I love it. I can't wait for the next one. And this one is beautiful. So I'm so glad it's out in the world. This baby. I remember when you told me about it, Wyatt, like a year or so ago. Yes. And I'm like, when's it going to come out? It's out now, baby. And thank you. I mean, I've thanked you before, but never on the podcast. Thank you so, 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 so much deeply for writing the forward of Gut Feelings. It meant the world to me. I mean, such a fan of yours and your work. And it was the beautiful beginning to that book. So thank you. Of course. Well, I mean, I was just so truly honored by your request. I've been connected to and watching your work from afar. And then we've had the opportunity to connect so early on in my own journey and just felt such a kindred spirit and alignment Mm -hmm. in you as a professional, as a human, that it was truly an honor. And as I am an individual in the journey, it just is so, it's healing for me to have these connections with others like yourself. So thank you for being who you are, uh, for allowing me to support you in that way, for supporting me in all of the ways that you have, again, from so early on in my own journey. Oh my goodness. Thank you. I want it to be more than just a podcaster and as something on social media. We need to hang out IRL, yes. not just on Zoom. Where can people go? Where can people get the book? All the things. The book is across most major book retailers. And I'm hoping many of your preferred local retailers. So anywhere that you like to purchase books, absolutely. I suggest you give a look, give a call. I'm hoping they will have some on hand. I have a book website up dedicated to this book, howtobelovelyouseek.com, as well as to my two other books. Um, The book website, howtobelovelyouseek.com highlights book retailers that I know for sure will be actively stocking the book. So you can check that out. Uh, Check out my just general website, theholisticpsychologist.com just to keep posted. I have an email list where I'm often um, putting out free content, free meditations. Um, I have a weekly newsletter with lots of hopefully helpful information. And there's also all of the information about my membership, Self Healer Circle. And then of course, across every social media platform at this point, you can find some version of the holistic psychologist as the handle. And again, these conversations we're having each and every day with a beautiful growing community, however it is that you prefer to consume your free social media content. My friend, come back anytime. Thanks so much. Of course. Thank you for having me again, Will. Thanks again for listening to The Art of Being Well. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast here. And if you like what you're hearing, hit follow and pass it along to a friend. To see more, head to drwillcole.com slash podcast. I'll be back again next Thursday, and I hope you will too. Talk soon.
Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.